Welcome back to Pulp Friction, or should I say Science Friction, because uh, we're doing a double feature this week. My name is Rocky, and Beth's name is Beth, and we are talking about the two 80s Mel Brooks movies, History of the World Part 1 and Spaceballs. Sorry, I think the title Spaceballs is still very funny. It's it's pretty good. (laughs) It's very funny to me. It's like, you know, I, I, I remember as a kid, I just, it was just funny because of the world balls, the word balls, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's still that for sure. But it's also sort of like, a, you know, the fact that the species is called, they're called space balls and they're from the planet space ball. Like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> there are layers to it. It sort of recalls a, a screwball. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about, the films of Mel Brooks, and uh, before that, we're going to do a little something we haven't done in a long time, our breaking news segment, da 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 what's pulping. I, I had a few thoughts on some of the, on our, our little uh, awards watch. We've kind of been on awards watch for a while. We had uh, laid it to rest for a bit, but a lot of nominations have come out spe- uh, specifically for the Guild Awards, the, you know, Writers Guild, Directors Guild, Producers Guild, and the Oscar nominations, I don't think are coming out for at least another month, but some it's an interesting development. I would never have said this a week ago. I would, you know, it's, it, it wouldn't have even come to mind, but I think that at this moment, there is a path to best picture for Dune. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. The these Guild Award nominations come out, and the only film that is nominated in every single one of them is Dune. <laughs> oh Lord. So this is an interesting field. It's harder to predict the Oscars than other award shows because A, mm-hmm. they have significantly changed the makeup of the Academy in the last few years. And there's a a big, I mean, a, just a big international voter base there that is harder to reach with for your consideration campaigns and is not as well reflected in the, in the Guild Awards. Um, but the other thing is the rank choice ballot thing where, you know, it's, it's you, you, you rank your movies and they get rid of the first one and give your votes to whatever your second pick is and it's until someone's more than 50% of the vote. And I think that this year that is going to be tricky because there's sort of a four-way face-off as I see it between Belfast, Licorice Pizza, West Side Story and uh, Power of the Dog. Oh. So I don't think it's the most likely right now. I would probably say power of the dog if I had to guess, but you don't really know until like the week before, Uh, Mm -hmm. but say the Oscar nominations come out and Dune has 11 nominations. (laughs) Like, like I think it's looking at six to 11 nominations and uh, you know, I, I, I think that that just have, if it has the most nominations, which is entirely possible, that will really put it into the conversation in a way that it hasn't been before. And uh the nominating voting process has already started. Once the nominations are announced, they'll do the voting voting process. But I think that especially with this sort of tangle between a few different films that uh, that are, there's no like clear front runner at this point, I think there is a reality in which Dune <laughs> takes best picture. I mean, good for Dune. Good for know. Dune. Yeah. Good you know, it wasn't a, like a huge favorite of mine, but I think that... I don't know. On some level, I would love to see Dune win Best Picture. <laughs> it would. 
I mean, I love sci-fi and like a lot of sci-fi feels not really recognized as like good art. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought Dune was good. I also have not read the book, so I'm coming yeah, in. I saw, like, I saw it having not read the book with someone who was a big fan of the book. And uh, I, 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 I think something that's really impressive is that we came out of it and she said that was a really faithful adaptation of the first half of the book. And oh. I was, you know, that, that book was famously considered unadaptable for so long. So the fact that this was supposedly a really solid adaptation and was so like digestible for people who weren't familiar, like, you know, I, th- I think yeah. adapted screenplay is something that it definitely deserves at the very least. Oh yeah, I agree. So um, that's what's pulping. I guess there's also uh, the thing where Kanye said that uh, do not ask me to do a fucking NFT, which was just a... <laughs> good for Kanye. Good, a good, good, thing. good idea there. A good thing, yeah. <laughs> and especially since he like hasn't said fuck in like four years. This is, you know... Yeah, good... just like, all right, good, good for you, Kanye. Yeah, so yeah, we are talking about, first of all, history of the world. And before that, I have some history of Mel Brooks. <laughs> so uh, the story of Mel Brooks, his father died when he was two. And he says about that quote, there's an outrage there. I may be angry at God or at the world for that. And I'm sure a lot of my comedy is based on anger and hostility. Growing up in Williamsburg, I learned to clothe it in comedy to spare myself problems like a punch in the face. He began working uh, as a Tumblr and entertainer at a local pool when he was 14. During his teens, he changed his name to Mel Brooks after being confused for the jazz trumpeter Max Kaminsky. Uh, his real name is Kaminsky. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, at 18, he was drafted into the army. Uh, this was during World War II. He served as a corporal, defusing landmines as the Allies advanced into Germany. He participated in the Battle of the Bulge. After the war, he quickly headed off for the Catskills, where he first worked as a drummer and pianist, and then became a stand-up after filling in for an absent comic. In 1949, his friend Sid Caesar got him a gig writing jokes for the Admiral Broadway Review on NBC. And then in 1950, uh, he was hired as a writer on Sid Caesar's show, Your Show of Shows, one of the most influential shows ever, probably. <laughs> that show ended in 54 after Imogene Toka left to host her own program. And then Caesar did Caesar's Hour, the same, most of the same writers, same year. At this point, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, who were co-writers on the show, developed the 2,000-year-old man routine. Uh, And it was initially something that they just, like, they just did it with friends, and it was just, like, a bit that they had, and it started to become, like, something that people talked about in New York. Like, like these guys do this great bit. That's his favorite Mel Brooks bit. It is the 2,000-year-old man. And when I was a kid, he used to compare me to the 2,000-year-old man, because I was like, this is also a bit I have not seen. I know, shocking. I'm a bad fan. Mm. But he's just like, you're so grumpy. You're like a 2,000-year-old man, please. So he's telling like, his four-year-old child like crying in the theater. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty good bit. <laughs> I, I, I've seen a little bit of it. I, I like the idea of this time in culture, though, where two guys could just have a bit and word yeah. would spread around New York <laughs> so much. <laughs> That it's just like, these guys, they do a great bit. What is it? The 2,000-year-old man. Oh, okay. I mean, you know what? Good for them. Absolutely. In 1960, they uh, moved to LA and they performed the bit on the Steve Allen show. And it was a monster hit. 
just you know everyone loved it so they made an album and then they made two more albums in the next two years and they did uh you know they kept it up for a really long time kept pretty pretty much forever i mean into the 90s they were doing things with it and according to brooks at a career low point the 2000 year old man albums were his chief source of income so (laughs) very successful right on that bit yeah he wrote the book for the Broadway musical All American, which was nominated for two Tonys in 62. And in 63, he did the animated short The Critic, which won the Oscar. Have you seen that short? I have not, actually. I've heard of it. And then I'm just like, OK, time for me to be a media hermit again. <laughs> it's really good. It's uh, it's on YouTube. It's pretty brief. It's like, you know, do you know those like... Um, like abstract animations from the 50s where it's like music is playing and there's like lines and stuff on screen so it's that and then Mel Brooks is narrating it as like an old Russian guy watching it and not understanding what's going on (laughs) Uh, again once again that's literally what my father does in movie theaters anyway so I think I I get it yeah (laughs) it's so great I love it uh one of my favorite works of Mel Brooks probably oh hell yeah After that, he and Buck Henry created Get Smart, which was highly rated and won seven Emmys over five seasons. He had toyed with the idea of a musical comedy about Hitler for years. Uh, First, he was like, is this a novel? Is this a play? And then finally, he wrote it as a film. The producers, he got two producers to fund it, but major distributors and exhibitors wouldn't touch it. It was ultimately distributed by Embassy Pictures, who billed it as an art film. Kind of, kind of funny. Yeah, this uh, Hitler comedy, you know, it's an art film. Yeah. Yeah, art it, film. It sure is. It won Brooks the Oscar for original screenplay. And um, yeah, it didn't, make a, it didn't make a ton of money. It had a very limited release, but then uh, it was really like they would screen it at college campuses and that's how it started to become a hit. Good. Yeah. Uh, Brooks's next film, The Twelve Chairs, was considered a disappointment at the time is pretty well regarded today it's one of the ones i haven't seen but it's uh, a more serious but still funny movie as i understand yeah (laughs) he wrote an adaptation of oliver goldsmith's play she stoops to conquer but no one would pick it up and he thought his career was over until warner brothers hired him as a script doctor on a project called tex x a western parody about a black sheriff in the old west which he eventually took over as director Blazing Saddles received mixed reviews on its release, but was a massive hit with younger audiences. It was the number two film of 1974 and was nominated for three Oscars. Well, we'll get into it, but I definitely feel like Blazing Saddles is, you know, um, its star has risen (laughs) with time. I feel like it's, you know, very canonical today. Mm -hmm. Gene Wilder only agreed to play the Waco Kid in Blazing Saddles because Brooks agreed to follow it up with Wilder's idea for a parody of the classic Universal Frankenstein movies. Hell yeah. Young Frankenstein was the number three film of 1974, just behind Blazing Saddles, and it was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, It was the only Mel Brooks film to be revered by critics on its release, and is still probably his most beloved movie. So fun. It's so great. I do love that he reuse. I get my movies mixed up, but I do believe he reuses his mole joke in Young Frankenstein and also in Men in Tights. Mm. Yeah, the mole moves. And, and, and the whole, you know, should, can I spoil the joke? Is that allowed? Yeah, go for it. Uh, basically, on both characters, they have a mole that moves around and it's very unnerving for everyone. And someone comments on it like, hey, your mole moved. And these guys go, wait, I have a mole? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like a little silly bit, but it's like so, it's so good. 
Yeah. And I think the walk this way joke from Young Frankenstein is used in both of the films we're talking about today. Yeah, it is. Walk this way, you know, they walk that way. Yeah. So, yeah, we love it. I It's interesting to me that, like, Young Frankenstein is the only Mel Brooks movie that was, like, a critical hit at, at the time. Yes. I, I don't know what it is about that, but, you know, sometimes movies are good after they're, you know, like, they get better once, like, they're out of that era, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think there are probably things about about Hollywood in the uh, 70s and 80s that, um, you know, because I when I look at History of the World, and we'll get into it, obviously, but it's like, if you think about the other movies that were being made in 1981, there were there weren't a lot that were like that. You know, it was sort of a 60s comedy uh, out of its era. But um, yeah, you know, clearly it it uh, aged very well. And uh, he followed that up with a short-lived Robin Hood TV series called When Things Were Rotten, that uh, was sort of was sort of reworked into into a film in the 90s. Uh, his next two films were Silent Movie and High Anxiety, which were both successful. Um, I have not seen Silent Movie, but I want to see it. I did see High Anxiety like yesterday. <laughs> I saw High Anxiety a very long time ago, but it was also after my AP English teacher made us watch Vertigo, mm. all the Hitchcock movies. So I remember being like, this is such a good parody. Wow. I wonder if Hitchcock liked it and he apparently worked on it a little bit too. So yeah, I uh, feel like I need to go back to the Hitchcock movies after having seen it. Cause I, you know, I feel like it's been too long, but uh, a really funny movie. <laughs> it's pretty great. In 1980, he started the Brooks films imprint for his work as a producer. The reason that he did that was because he was producing uh, the elephant man. And he thought that if they saw Mel Brooks presents the elephant man, they would. Uh... <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, Oh, this is a comedy. It's like, no, yeah. <laughs> wait, Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he also like have something to do with the fly? Yeah, he produced the he produced Man the and the fly. And, and he was like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm on this. Right. Because otherwise, <laughs> I think it's funny. And both movies are not funny. Absolutely. <laughs> They're just not funny. Yeah. So he released two films as a director throughout the 1980s, and they were both critical and commercial disappointments at the time. They were History of the World Part 1 in 1981 and Spaceballs in 1987. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, I, I mean, we don't have to uh, limit ourselves to, to just talking about one at a time, but I guess, I, I guess to begin with, um, uh, your background with either yeah. or both of these so films. So I remember seeing um, History of the World Part 1. So as a kid, I used to get sick once a month, every like year up until I was 11. And my mother was like, okay, if you're going to stay at home, you're going to watch a movie. And you're also going to eat this really awful chicken soup that I made, which <laughs> had chicken soup and salsa in it. Don't ask. Mm. Um, and so she would go up into her closet in this and like get this the old decrepit VHS tape. And like, you know, the cover was all like not there anymore. Like die, like, you know, how they fall apart. And she'd pop the tape in the VCR and it would be history of the world part one. So for years, as a young, sickly child, she just had me watch Israel Part 1, like, almost every day while I was sick. Wow. Uh, she made me fast forward through the risque parts. Uh, sure. And she was like, you're so, you're so good at it. You got so good at it. You just, you knew the parts and you would just fast forward. And I'm like, damn, you should just <laughs> let me watch those. 
<laughs> by that point, you're showing me Israel part one. Should let right. me watch that. But yeah. Yeah, I actually don't think I think History of the World is one of the ones I didn't see when I was a kid. Uh, Spaceballs was very much part of the like birthday party uh, Jewish boy circuit uh, <laughs> in my area. It definitely is that kind of movie. Um, I think my mom showed me Spaceballs after once I was older, mm. and I'm like, you got them reversed. You, you got the yeah. ages confused. Yeah, it uh, was was popular with 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 the kids that uh, that I was around. I remember this wasn't the first time I saw it, but there was a time where it was brought to a birthday party at my house that uh, it might have been my brother's birthday, but it might have just been like a friend's birthday that uh, we had at my place and uh, or, or like a celebration for something. And they brought space balls and my mom was upset that I was repeating the I'm surrounded by assholes joke. Uh- <laughs> some jokes are just so good your kid has to repeat them it's true but yeah i think my i definitely remember seeing history of the world for the first time and i think it was in the last few years it might have been i you know i did an essay on on jewish comedy at some point and it might have been for that that i actually saw it but uh i i think on this watch i probably came to appreciate it more and i was uh We'll, we'll get to Spaceballs, but uh, I, I was a little surprised by, um, you know, how I ended up feeling about it. But uh, it started like someone asked him, like, well, he was on like the Universal Studios lot or whatever, and someone asked him what his next movie was. And he said it was uh, the history of the world. And and uh, and someone was like, you're, you couldn't tell the whole history of the world in a movie. And he's like, you're right. I'll call it history of the world. Part one. Part one. Actually, fun fact is um, he has his real part two as a TV series for Hulu coming out in 2022. Yeah, at, at one point, yeah, he uh, he is going to write and I think uh, be a part of it. But mm-hmm. at one point after the movie came out, he said that he would never do a part two, maybe a part four, but never a part two. <laughs> yeah. Might have to change that title. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, just just to, you know, get into it, take it piece by piece. This one's obviously split into sequences. And I I, I, I like the structure of it. I like that it's, yeah. um, I think it's a little, the balance could be a little better, but like, I, I, I do like that it is uh, told in this, in, in this series of sketches. And I like that there are, you know, a few things that they devote more time to and, mm-hmm. you know, some little bits outside of that. Yeah. It's good. Because I, I remember the beginning is like very brief, like about like, you know, cavemen. And also there's like a Planet of the Apes kind of parody going on at the same time, which I flew over my head as a kid because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I don't know what these rocks are. And now as an adult who has gone to a school mm-hmm. and is, uh, now a man of culture, I'm like, oh, yes, a movie I've also never seen. OK, yeah, I get I get that. Yeah. Uh, but it does open with the uh, the 2001 uh homage with the <laughs> the ape-like ancestors sort of rising uh, onto two legs and uh, becoming man by sort of sort of furiously jacking off <laughs> yeah, jacking off. and i'm just like yep <laughs> like, that, i mean you know what that's a pretty accurate it's it's a stew you know hmm. what what separates us from um being cavemen i guess you know I feel like it's an interesting opening just thinking about like conceptually what this movie is. I feel like so much of it is sort of um, 
taking this irreverent sense of humor that that you know is so distinctly Jewish and and sort of mm-hmm. applying it to these uh, to these uh, quote unquote great periods in history these you know the, the, this hegemonic teaching of history um, mm-hmm. so, sort of undermining that and I feel like to start with the 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 quote unquote dawn of man <laughs> sort of demystifying that I feel like it's a it's a powerful yeah. opening yeah yeah because there's also like um I, I oy, every time I, I'm I'm getting into like Sarah Lawrence brain where I'm like I think the dawn of man has been taken over like that narrative has been taken over by white supremacists as like look at us we're not like these subhumans and Mel's just like guys you're you're jacking off too sure <laughs> everybody's like, doing it everyone's doing it you're not like you know that whole thing uh, a fun note on the Orson Welles narration, which uh, appears most prominently at the beginning, is that he agreed to $5,000 a day for his recording, and Mel Brooks gave him 25000 up front because he had like budgeted out uh, 10 days for him to record, and he knocked it all out perfectly by noon on the first day. <laughs> he really just only got $5,000. Damn. <laughs> oh, God. Sometimes you're too talented for your own good. It's true. And it, it, it's pretty great to just have Orson Welles <laughs> doing that part. You know, it, It's something about, um, I guess, just where Mel Brooks uh, was, like, you know, how big he was at, the, at, at this point in his career. But, you know, there are so many great actors in these movies. But I feel like the, the fact of Orson Welles being there and the fact that, I mean, so many of these were Oscar nominated, too, just... Um, these these you know performances i think uh it was in blazing saddles that harvey corman mentioned uh that, like mentions a best supporting actor nomination and, 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 and how he would get one in the uh in the film and then he didn't but other people who were in the movie did <laughs> and it's like well he really could have but yeah the next sequence is the caveman sequence uh we we see the inventions of fire arts the birth of the artist and the inevitable afterbirth of the critic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the first homo sapiens marriage and the first homosexual marriage. Uh, <laughs> the, there, there are moments in both of these and in other Mel Brooks films where like just the fact of, <laughs> of a gay person existing is the joke, but yeah. I do, I do think it kind of works <laughs> in this particular case. Yeah, yeah. I remember as a kid watching it, being like, "Oh, yes, that makes sense," because mm-hmm. like, it seems like a logical next step. But now, as like an older adult, it's like it is a feel. It is a little bit of the jokey, but he gets a pass for this one. Yeah, there there are other ones where I think he gets less of a pass, but in this yeah. case, just the yeah. um, I don't know. It, the, the, it's played so straight and so without. With, without malice i feel like it's it's yeah. you know <laughs> it's just but, sort of yeah. a, a little play on words you know it's good yeah also i do love the whole critic joke because it's just there's the spear and the funeral that you know the mm-hmm. for the guy who got hit with the spear yeah and yeah. then yeah we get into comedy we get into music and uh, there's the whole sequence of them you know dropping the rocks on people's feet to hit the, hit the notes and then <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it's probably how that happened. Classic caveman humor, but uh, <laughs> there it is. 
And we do get our brief Old Testament section, which uh, kind of comes back later in the movie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this this joke my dad used to uh, repeat to me a lot, even though, again, I didn't see the movie when I was a kid. But um, that Moses goes up the mountain, comes back with 15 commandments and drops yeah, with it. Top five. I'm like, oh, no. You know, sometimes it's just going to happen. I never know what those five are going to be. It's sort of an interesting <laughs> idea, I guess, of, the, of their like, like there were 15 commandments and <laughs> he just drops out. It's like, I, it, it, you know, it feels like it speaks, again, it's kind of an irreverent thing, but um, an irreverence to the laws of God, I guess. And, <laughs> and yeah, the, like, yeah the, the way that, the way that we, you know, how, what we have uh, of it is not necessarily what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, then we get into the Roman Empire, which is the longest section of the film. Yeah. The concept of a stand-up philosopher as like a precursor to a stand-up comedian always struck me as funny. Yeah, it is pretty good. And um, I I like the, uh, the... And he's playing Caesar's Palace. And I, <laughs> like, like, they, <laughs> Just like, oh, love it. Yeah. Complete parts oh. of history. A lot of fun stuff there. I like the, you know, when he actually is doing <laughs> stand-up philosophy uh, for... Oh, God, who is the... Um, there's an emperor mistress. Nero. Nero, yes, it's Nero. Yeah, Nero and Nympho. Nympho. Uh, <laughs> I, I I like how organically the, the, the stand-up is sort of worked into it. And... Um, mm-hmm. You, you know like classic stand-up stuff but also like kind of funny and he, he like, like like he tells a fat joke and then um the the gregory Hunt, josephus tells him to uh to to, to wrap it up and he uh, it, yeah. and he's, he, he's like politics <laughs> he says we have the best set that the money can buy and uh it's it's uh, a, a fun sequence for sure there's also like a i think a bit before that where he's spelling out the word nuts and it's just like NVTS nuts. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? Yeah. The plot is that uh, he is a stand up philosopher. Mm-hmm. He gets a gig at Nero's Palace, and uh, there's, a, there's a slave auction. Gregory Hines plays Josephus, uh, a slave who is about to be fed to the lions, but he says that he is Jewish <laughs> and, the, and the lions and only are Christians. Too. Yes. I remember a Roman guard asks him, can you prove it? Essentially, he's like, do you want to see my dick? Like, <laughs> and, then, and then they look and he's like, they missed. <laughs> yeah, they missed. Just like, you know what? Yeah. Josephus uh, hits a guard and escapes and the, the, the cops catch him. But then uh, the empress happens to be walking by and there's, there's Miriam, who's the love interest, and she's a, a vestal virgin for the empress. And, uh, and she convinces her to take Josephus on as a, a like a wine bearer a or whatever. Bearer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like a whole bit where he's like, say when, and Nympho, I think, is like 4.30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and then they all escape by walking this way, you know? 
Yeah, there's a there there's a good chase. They do the walk this way joke during the escape. It's true. They're going to the uh, Senate, and um, the the reason they have to escape is because uh, Josephus is hiding with the eunuchs, and they 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 do a test where they have a woman come out and dance with the eunuchs, and then you know, yeah, it's got the feather thing, and the feather goes out, but. I, I like the bit with the Senate and they're voting on if they should keep building like giant palaces for the rich or if they should build decent housing for the poor and they all go, fuck the poor. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there, yeah. There's the uh, same thing happening today. Um, and then uh, they they escape on a, on a ship for Judea. They get jobs at a restaurant where <laughs> Comicus is the waiter for the Last Supper. Hmm. Uh, and there's a whole like exchange where like he goes Jesus and Jesus goes what? And comic <laughs> like what what you know like trying yeah. to figure figure it out. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Yeah. And at the, it's like towards the end of it, Jesus is like you just said Jesus, and comic is like you said what? <laughs> and, like, like, uh, and then the end is like you know the, the photo of the Last Supper and Comicus is in the back. Yeah, da, Vin- like, da Vinci comes in. They they, they ordered a group portrait. <laughs> yeah, like they ordered a group portrait. Yeah, it's like yeah, like, and Comicus's tray is behind behind Jesus. It's true. It's interesting to sort of like go back to the beginning, and they're talking about. I mean, I mean, Comicus tells jokes about Christians in the stand-up bit, and they yeah. you know talk about feeding Christians to lions, and then <laughs> to, to have this also be like the time of the last supper like it's you know it, it's fudging with history in a in a, in a yeah. fun way i mean there's also another fudge um where moses like parts water for them yeah moses is like standing there and, and the guy and, 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 no, no, and it turns out a guy's robbing it <laughs> yeah just, just the image of moses getting mugged is just very very funny it's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> that that whole sequence, I feel like um, it's sort of like a mini, like like a condensed Mel Brooks movie, right there. Yeah. There's uh, misogyny, which is 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 present, I think, in all maybe all the Mel Brooks movies. Yeah. Certainly, all the ones I've seen. Same here, just like. Yeah, there's uh, I I mean Nero straight up calls his his like Harold a faggot. So there's there's yeah, a, a, a lot of that too. Um, just I don't know. There's obviously there's nothing we could do about it, but it, it's the movie's um, been made. It's out there, unfortunately. For it has these themes, you know. Uh, it's like um sometimes a relic of history. You know, it's funny. Yeah, and yeah. um. Or maybe relic's not the right. When I when you call something a relic, you kind of imply that it's not important anymore. And I feel like you know these movies are good. It's just unfortunately it has these bits in it. Yeah, it's important to be aware of that. It's important to you know mm-hmm. address that as we are. Yeah. You know, I do. I do think this is an important film. Um, and uh, it's it it is uh, un- unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's like really unfortunate that this film has misogyny, homophobia etc built into it uh there's the sign right at the beginning that says annual orgy and buffet first serve first come yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah it's pretty good that's that's what mom had to teach me what that word meant orgy and i was like mm-hmm. you know maybe six or seven and she's like oh my god yeah i feel like once i once i learned what an orgy was i was like you can just say that because there was like there was a there was a movie that came out in like 2011 that was like a good old-fashioned orgy and like you know, there were just posters for that in movie theaters, and I was like, "Wow, you can do it!" Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I believe the next segment after the Roman Empire was the Spanish Inquisition. My my favorite section, so yeah, the Spanish Inquisition. Um, you know, the Inquisition. Let's begin. The Inquisition. Look out, sin. This inc- it's it's incredibly dark. I don't have to explain the Spanish Inquisition to your listeners, right? I don't think so. No. Okay, good. Because uh, <laughs> hopefully you guys know what this is, and it's uh, truly horrific. But Mel Brooks has a gift for making like horrific things absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. You know, like Nazis are ridiculous buffoons. Uh, the Spanish Inquisition is based the darkest one of the darkest periods of Jewish history, but it's absolutely ridiculous that it happened. Like by any standard. Yeah. You know? I, I this is definitely in conversation with Springtime for Hitler, and I think yeah. that. <laughs> I, I I think it, it comes around to an interesting point, which is like, which is like, if he could just make a musical comedy about Hitler, it would be good. And he just can't do that because of the society. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, so he sort of like walks around it by doing a, a big musical number about the Inquisition. Uh, done with like such a plum and such like you know the spirit and the writing and the production this the set of this number cost more than the producers what <laughs> yeah so, so you mean all that medieval torture shit cost i mean there was a pool right with the same synchronized- pool yeah <laughs> send out the nuns and they're like just synchronized swimming yeah Okay, now I see how it costs more than producers, right? There's the pool and the fire and- Extremely high. And, and I do think that uh, Torquemada, let's face it, you can't talk about anything is like my favorite line. <laughs> oh my God. There's also like a whole little sight gag of knees as xylophones, like, yeah. cause they're getting tortured. <laughs> Just like, oh my God. And when I was watching it on this watch, I like, the song started and I was just watching it in silence. And then when it cut to black, I I was hysterical. <laughs> like it just, I was just so wrapped by it. And then afterwards I was like, that was the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it, 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 like just ridiculous. It's, it's out, it's so out there. Cause I think, especially when we learn about the inquisition in school, it's like, this is a horrible, horrible event that should never happen. But anti-Semitism still exists today. So, and you know, Jews as a people have been suffering since, you know, Moses came down and dropped the 15 commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, since God knows when. Yes, since God knows when. <laughs> so why can't we make fun of this shit? Yeah. You know, it's, and, and it's only like, it would be different if Mel Brooks was not Jewish and he did this. It would be like the worst thing I've ever seen, you know? Mm-hmm. But since he is Jewish, he gets it. You know, it's, it's our joke. Yeah, and, and and part of it is really just like to imagine people who are not Jewish seeing it and being like, can you do this? <laughs> like, I, and you know what? It is an earworm. It is catchy. So someone who isn't Jewish will be singing it. But <laughs> that probably is also his point too. Yeah, and I, again, very much the, the same thing with Springtime for Hitler where like... <laughs> <they're> the... <laughs> Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Do, do, yeah. Do. Yeah. For Poland and France, like it's so catchy, of yeah. course. It's funny that like 
the couple of songs that 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 Brooks writes for these movies are always like so so good, and it's just it it just seems like he knows that he would be like 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 he knows it would be bad for him to, for him to like actually do a musical, but he, oh, yeah. <laughs> he wants to so bad, yeah. So bad. The um, I mean, I think of the the song "High Anxiety" from "High Anxiety" too, which is just, oh yeah, uh, you know, a, a classic love song, but just taking that uh, th- that theme of high anxiety with it, and um, yeah, he's a really good songwriter. <laughs> that definitely yeah. comes out in no, this number. He's, he's a he's such a good songwriter. Like you're absolutely right, and you know, it makes sense. He's a pianist and a drummer. Yeah. What else is he gonna do besides absolutely. make really funny movies that are good? And then uh, the French Revolution segment. That, on okay. Right off the bat, you have the king and his piss servant. His piss boy. The piss boy. The piss looks boy. exactly like him. The, the way that Count Money says piss boy is so good. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Said so seriously, like, piss boy. Piss boy. <laughs> you have like, a bumbling little piss boy who's Mel, and he's, like, coming out, and he's like, yes, I'm here. Yeah. It's interesting how this this segment starts with like Madame Defarge, who uh, is sort of a, a revolutionary figure, and she just like pe- people just gathered in her tavern, and they're just sort of leading them in a call for uh, to death to King Louis. Um, and then we we don't really see those characters again. It's just sort of a, yeah, just like exposition. This is what happens. This is what's happening before we get to the piss boy. Yeah, and and who we, we spend so much time with. There, there are definitely things that, uh, you know, this sequence, I think, aged worse than the rest of the movie. The chess sequence uh, is, is, is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been so long since I've seen this movie. Um, I, I, know that, I know the chess sequence has aged badly. Can't mm-hmm. remember why. Probably good that. Uh, yeah, there's the. Uh, I mean, there's the use of little people, and there's the. Oh uh, yes, that's why. Okay, yeah, that, but, that was. But bad. there's, but there's also the. You know, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't even necessarily want to describe it, but there's like a, a, a sexual assault element to 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 that scene that's also bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we don't have to describe that. And and there's an element of the of the king character where where he is a, a philanderer and he's someone who you know treats women like property and it's yeah. uh, it's it, it's not executed great from from yeah. from, from, a, from a modern perspective anyway like I'm sure it comes off like like it you know it comes off like we're not supposed to like the guy but I feel like in that it's Mel Brooks and in the, you know, with the, the, the text of the rest of the movie up to that point, it's like mm-hmm. not clear who the joke is on. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does have that um, habit. It's actually a thing in all older comedy where it's like, I don't know who we're supposed to laugh at. Is it the guy who's obviously not good or is it the butt of the joke? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do, I, I do like the element of the like, the, the switcheroo with the piss boy and um it's so good it's i mean what is a king what is a monarch but uh but an expensive piss boy you know exactly exactly and the the revolution comes for him and i don't know i, I don't know why he doesn't maybe, maybe no one would would vouch for him but i feel like he could you know take off the the wig and the mole and be like i'm i'm the piss boy, the piss but- boy. <laughs> The, the 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 revolution comes for comes for the poor piss boy 
yeah. the, uh, the 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 king and has has been evacuated out of out of, out Paris. of Paris. And I believe as the poor piss boy, our poor piss boy is being led to the guillotine, and they ask him if he has any last words. He's like, "Yes, Novocaine." And <laughs> you know, the executioner goes, "It has not been invented yet." No, but he says, "I'll wait." Yeah, I'll wait. Yeah, sorry. The uh, last part is, I'll wait. <laughs> and then it'll take a miracle to save him. In rides Josephus. Yes. On Lord. Miracle, the horse from, from, <laughs> from earlier in the movie. Such a great way to end this movie, just to have Josephus come back come and, this and be like, Josephus! <laughs> Where it's like, yep, continuity, none. Yeah, it, it's a great uh, bow to, to, to put on the the story that's been about you know an irreverence for history to mm. to just be like in our own story <laughs> these characters you know who cares they they, they all ride off into the sunset together yeah they ride like, off there's a they pass a mountain that says the end <laughs> that's how that's how the movie ends but uh, and they acknowledge it but um, also I think it's funny how you know, you sort of see Josephus as just like a as just like a character, but then obviously there is the the historical Josephus who is present for a lot of different uh, historical events, and I, I I like how that sort of like comes back into play as he as he comes back to, in the French, back Revolution. To the French Revolution. Yeah. So yeah, I I like the the idea of this movie a lot, and I think that on this watch, it did it, it mostly really worked for me. I remember there were extras at the end, not extras in the way like Marvel has mm. extras, but it's like little bits like Hitler on ice or Jews in space. Yeah, there is the coming attraction section after <laughs> the French Revolution. <laughs> Where which it's, like, is, it's not over yet, guys. It announces History of the World Part Two featuring Hitler on ice, a Viking funeral, yeah. and Jews in space. Oh my God. It's just, once again, just like the Hitler on ice bit, it's just like, it's if you know this awful yeah. awful horrible man is made into a buffoon you know it's really funny how it's just like it's just like 30 seconds of ice skating like there's no yeah. other bit to it it's just an ice skater dressed like hitler <laughs> yeah it's just like you know exactly what he said hitler on ice it is hitler on ice and then the Viking funeral thing, I don't really remember what happened to it. There was um, the gag, I think, is that they actually had horns. Yeah, they take off their helmet and the horns are just underneath it. Um, yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's a pretty good one. <laughs> how you want it to be. And then there's Jews in Space. Um, which is fun trivia is the exact same song as Were Men, Manly Men, Were Men in Tights. I believe. Yes, it is. They, yeah. they reused the song for, for Men in Tights. I, I, I like all three of these are are really strong in that they are just like a singular bit <laughs> just, yeah, just sort of played just out in a, in a way that like nothing else in the movie has been I mean I guess in a way it all has been but just like I don't know there's something really great about this this form of comedy where it's just like the 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 microcosm quality of it with Jews in space you just sort of get like a theme song and mm-hmm. this this image of like a of like a star of David armada, yeah. But but it's really just, it sort of leaves you completely to figure it out for yourself. Just like yeah, it's just in like space. Fun. You you so there's like an, an image of like some some kasidim in a in a window. Yes, <laughs> and they're just singing and they're showing you their star of David spaceships and it's just like what, what is going yeah. on? <laughs> 
and you just you just gotta go with it. It's choosing space. I don't know what to tell you. Pretty great, but yeah, overall, I think this movie is a little uneven, and there are definitely uh, certain sequences that didn't age well. But again, there are some I haven't seen, but I do think this is among my favorites. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. It's oh. I I just love the the idea of of playing with history the way that the way that he does like Hitchcock movies, you know? Yeah, just like, here's the formula. Cool. Anyways. This takes us into our second film. Our second and final film. Spaceballs. Spaceballs. A brief bit of history. This is said to be Mel Brooks's most financially successful film overall. Mm-hmm. It underperformed at the box office initially, but uh, has has since become wildly successful. Uh, it's also free on YouTube right now if you if you care to oh, watch it yeah. after hearing okay, us I'll talk about it. The one bit I have, I mean, we were talking about this with High Anxiety earlier, but Mel Brooks did get George Lucas's blessing for this film. Yeah. The, the okay. one condition that was made was that they not make any merch for it, which is interesting because Spaceballs merch plays such a, such a key role in the film. Yeah, that's why I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, like there's like... um a whole bit where they meet Master Yogurt, who's just Mel Brooks in like supposedly green paint. Yeah, it's gold paint, but it is uh, uh, gold paint. Greenish. And he's dressed like Yoda. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like, we, got, his... we got the, 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 the shirts. Spaceballs the shirt. Spaceballs the flamethrower. It's just like any any merch you could think of. He's crawling around on his knees. It's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> and actually... ILM, George Lucas's uh, uh, VFX team, was involved in this film. They made oh, okay. the they made the uh, the chestburster alien uh, at the end of the movie. Nice. Okay, which is a whole bit in its. <laughs> yeah, this is. Um, I, I mean, it's it 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 is in a in a way a by the book Star Wars parody, but it does also make room <laughs> for. I, I I feel like you know. I do feel like this is kind of the origin of like the uh, you know the 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 like scary movie era of movie parodies where yeah. you're just kind of doing a truncated version of the plot and just throwing whatever other movie at you. But I feel like this film does it better in that they're little one-off bits, the parts that are other movies. It's like you know the trans the the ship is also a transformer and it you yeah. know crashes onto the planet of the apes and it's like the statue of liberty thing <laughs> you know not it's it's funny because they he was apparently it's like you know not just a transformer it's also a maid yeah you know? <laughs> like um, a transformer that's a maid that sucks out air of other planets so on this watch and we'll we'll get into the specifics i will say that i was surprised this didn't work for me Mm-hmm. on this watch as as much as uh it has previously and i haven't seen it in ages but um maybe part of it again is the the connection to some of the later like parody movies that uh, sort of sunk the genre but i don't know <laughs> one thing that i did really like is how it does the like star wars space crawl but first it has like a storybook text pop up that says once upon a time warp yeah i i, I thought that was really interesting <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's 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 like Star, if Star Wars is nothing, as a Star Wars fan, and I'm going to say it, Star Wars is literally just fantasy, but in outer space, so it makes sense. Yeah, I, I like the idea of sort of calling to mind a fairy tale right out of the gate. Yeah. 
and I, I think it's one of the more interesting commentaries on Star Wars that the movie makes. I mean, there, there are, there are a few, I, I think there is a lot of surface level stuff, uh, but there are underlying thoughts on Star Wars that the movie has that I think are interesting. And again, not present in some of the later parody movies that this possibly inspired. What we get in the, in the opening crawl is that uh, Dark Helmet is the leader of the Spaceballs and, they, <laughs> and of, of Planet Spaceball. They plan to take Planet Duridia's air, which is air. protected by an air shield, by kidnapping the princess. Yeah. And the princess, why am I blinking on her name? I know that she's a Druish princess, so let's start. She's, with- she's a Druish princess. Her name is Vespa. Vespa. With her, so the robot parody of c3po is a robot um like a handmaiden handmaiden yeah played by joan rivers who is so funny in that role yeah another thing i do really like about the uh, about this movie is is joan rivers and the c3po role i think that is a kind of an inspired choice this is an interesting era in in the joan rivers story but you know, obviously, John Rivers comes from the same Borscht Belt background that that Mel Brooks does, and this is sort of like in that moment in time, this feels like a like a return to form for her in a way, even though she's yeah. voicing it, the a robot, a robot named Dot Matrix, which is also Dot funny. Matrix. Yes, who has a virgin alarm? Yeah, there the, she has a virgin alarm. There are a lot of like quotables in this movie and i think that is a big part of like why it appeals to kids and has continued to appeal for to kids for so long on one level it's the fairy tale element of it but on another level i think it is that it like has jokes that you can remember and repeat yeah <laughs> uh, a lot of those there's a whole um bit where they're combing through the desert and there's mm-hmm. like you know literal combs yeah and then there's a joke around how like one it's not pc per se, but where one troop has a comb, one troop has an Afro pick. Yeah. Where I'm like, this is funny, but also, hmm, perhaps think about it. Yeah, who's that actor? It's a, it's a guy who's on Star Trek. Um, yes. Tim Russ. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's also the principal on iCarly. Just uh, Yes, that's where I know him from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's so good in that, like, that role. But but there's more like um there's like you know the surrounded by assholes joke the 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 play on I am your father which is a whole drawn out thing but it's something that will be quoted a lot yeah. for me like I don't know why but the most memorable moments are just like dark helmet playing with his dolls oh yeah <laughs> oh the satellite is jammed satellite's jammed yeah there's you know there's the joke where they uh take out the the tape of space balls and they're they're watching it to see what happens they watch it and they're like they're like yes it's happening as it's happening sir Uh, that part's pretty great and then also just um so instead of chewbacca the counterpart for chewbacca in space balls is a lovable lovable dog man named barf barf is so great barf is so good barf wears uh a jumpsuit and converse (laughs) barf is is so great john candy in uh, in an incredible role on this the the thing that almost took me by surprise watching the movie this time is i think bill pullman as lone star is like a really great 
comedic performance and he's you know he's sort of playing the 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 quote-unquote straight guy comedically and there there's just something so it's almost it's almost a primordial tim robinson thing where he's just like his delivery is so nuts (laughs) on every line i also i like how um luke and han solo in this parody universe are the same guy yeah where you have lone star who drives his little rinky dink space rv with barf mm-hmm. in it, who also gets the Schwartz. Yeah, the, the space Winnebago is very good. It's yeah. <laughs> the Winnebago. Yeah, it's not just an RV. It's a good. It's a good take on that. I, I like how when we see Lone Star, he's for the first time, he's like literally wearing a cowboy hat. It's just like complete slacker space guy moment, you know? Yeah, I, I, another great example of this movie sort of like pointing out that Star Wars is just like a bunch of different things, but in space. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that I think is one of the interesting things about it. Our our first scene is at uh, Vespa's wedding to Prince Valium, who's sleeping, who's, who's sleeping, like falling yeah. asleep, and like you know, because he's Prince Valium. Yeah, and he's the he's the last known prince in the universe, and uh, it's it's at the first intergalactic reform temple of the Druids. <laughs> She's about to be taken and she instead escapes with Dot in her car, which is a Mercedes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's a Mercedes. That, that the king, uh, you know, bought for her and and he reaches out to Lone Star and he's like, can you get the car back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like not even get my, like, you know, help save my daughter. He's like, get the car back. Dom DeLuise, uh, who is also Nero, uh, plays Pizza the Hut. I like the... <laughs> It's a dumb joke, but I, <laughs> I, I, I do really liked the, how oozy Pizza the Hut is. And there's, yeah, it's like, there's a moment where like a pepperoni falls from his top lip to his bottom lip. <laughs> and it's just like slap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I would not mind being a Pizza the Hut, you know? Just, just oozing cheese. Just oozing cheese, eating my pepperonis. It's a good life. Yeah. A really good practical effect there. I don't know who I, I I had read what company did like most of the effects, but I didn't um, remember. It was one of the big uh, effects companies. But yeah, the Pizza the Hut effect is very good. We we get a few exteriors of the planet Spaceball, and what we see is there are just like a lot of balls all over the planet, and mm-hmm. on on top of one of them is just like the White House. <laughs> And the president who's played by Mel Brooks is like played to be very incompetent and just like sleeping with a lot of women. Yeah. President Scroob. There's a, there's a moment he has these, uh, the, the, these twins that he sleeps with. There's a moment where he is uh, reading a book about Nixon. <laughs> when yeah. the commander like shows up on screen, he has to like hide it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So some fun stuff happening with that president character, definitely. And another kind of overlooked uh, element to this movie, maybe he's, he's got like cans of Perry air in his desk. He like keeps air in there. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> it um, and then there, there's a little, there's a scene of them like beaming, beaming the president onto the ship and he's, his head's on backwards. And so they beam him back and he's fixed. And then he walks into the next room. And so that's where the sh- he's like already on the ship. Yeah, just like, thing. oh my God. <laughs> really well done. And <laughs> you got to think about the, the practical effect of just like having his office be literally right next to the ship set. <laughs> Just like, you know what, break the fourth wall and just let everyone else figure it out. Yeah, a really great reveal, especially after like 
the establishing scene is like the White House on on Spaceball, yeah. and Yoshimi's in there. <laughs> Just like damn. Uh, they, there's there's the Jewish the Jewish princess joke at that point. Oh yeah, that and it's unfortunately it's funny. Unfortunately, it's also misogynistic. Yeah, there's and that's right after the the joke about the twins, which is also not good. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I do like when Bart says, "Funny, she doesn't look Jewish." <laughs> yeah. that, uh, as a as a child, uh, I actually got that as a compliment once, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> so I kind of I related to that, and I was like, "Yeah." Okay. Uh, And now that I started, as soon as I started testosterone, though, everyone's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Jew. Yeah. (laughs) You feel that. Something that I noted about, uh, like, watching it this time is that there are a lot of slow transitions, you know, atmosphere, like the ship, you know, going through space or like just panning throughout a room and stuff. And that is, I don't know if it's padding for time, which is something that I feel like Brooks does do sometimes, or if it's like making fun of how all these, all these sci-fi movies is parodying are very atmospheric and we'll just have like a shot of a ship for a while. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, why not both? Probably a little of both for sure. A little both. But you, you're right. Every sci-fi movie I've watched, it's just like, here's space. And it's going to go on for 30 seconds. And you're like, oh my God. There is also something that that someone pointed out about older comedies where there will be like pauses edited into the film, Mm -hmm. uh, assuming that there will be a big laugh (laughs) at at a given moment. So like, Uh, you know, it's it's something you probably don't notice just just watching most of these movies, but they like, they, they go a little slower because like after a big laugh, there will be like a few reaction shots in a row. Got it. Yeah, so it could be a mix of all of those. Yeah. There's the uh, the video rental shelf, which has like every Mel Brooks movie lined up in a row. And uh, it's got like got like row after row of Rocky movies and, and Friday yeah. the 13th movies. <laughs> There's a joke at one point about watching Rocky 5,000. <laughs> 5,000. Yeah. The thing about the princess being a virgin, which is another... Uh, <laughs> strange running theme in these in yeah. these brooks movies but Wait, with the love interest being virgin being a virgin um yeah it's it's not great but at least in space balls like i don't know for me it's kind of ridiculous to be a robot being like virgin alarm where that's like actually like absolutely funny but then you stop to think about it and you're like wow <laughs> A couple other jokes I want to uh, (laughs) point out here. First of all, how like there's the music that plays every time we see like the Spaceballs like ship and it sounds more like the Jaws theme every time they do it. (laughs) Where, yeah, it's just the Jaws. Yeah, it sounds more and more like Jaws and it's like, you know, building suspense, but it's also just really funny. And there's a there's a joke where they're sending the ship into they're, they're, it's, uh, shortly before they reveal it's a transformer, but they're s- sending the ship into metamorphosis, and uh, the asshole is like, "You ready, Kafka?" And the, and the, and the dark helmet looks over like, "Uh oh." <laughs> I mean, if you if you make a metamorphosis joke, I feel like you have to mention Kafka. Yeah, a, a good Kafka joke. And I feel like that is another element of these uh, of these older, you, you know, movies from these Borscht Belt guys is just like the very literary uh, <laughs> bits that they all have. Yeah, and I saw it and there was a point where I was watching a couple of the older Woody Allen movies. Uh, and there are there, there are a lot of those in there, too. It's just um, an element of these films. And, you know, these are all like these guys are especially Mel, he, like they're big nerds. 
yeah. you know, they're well read and they're going to use that. Yeah. And you're going to sit there and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> the other joke I uh, wanted to point out is where I don't remember what it is, but there's some kind of, there's some kind of beam that's firing off from the ship and, uh, and a dark helmet's trying to stop it at, or the president's trying to stop it, I think. And, uh, and they, they're like, I can't, it's irreversible. And he says, like my raincoat. <laughs> oh my God. A lot of, a lot of silly, silly humor. Yeah. And there's also the, uh, when the, the ship's going to like uh, self-destruct and there's, they have to get everyone to the escape pods. And they like, as soon as they shout abandoned shift, ship like a ton of people start coming out of the woodwork we haven't seen before like pizza chefs start coming out, yeah, of, the, like, out of the other every, room and every person you could think of <laughs> is now abandoning ship into like a limited number of pods and it's just chaos yeah there's a bit where there's a bear in one of the pods but yes. I just... <laughs> there's a, a dark helmet's about to go in or dark helmet or president and you just see the bear in the pod and he's like oh no yeah it's a little weird that they that they merged luke and han into one character but they have dark helmet and the president but like yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah it's it's a little strange where i guess he didn't want to make it exactly like star wars because for me i read the luke and han merger as like and star wars it's kind of infamous that luke kisses leia mm-hmm. but leia ends up with han solo so right. to make it less awkward i guess but then you I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. But yeah, there, there's, there's something really funny just watching like as everyone's running around freaking out, they're like, again, just people <laughs> with like pizza dough coming out of the other yeah, room. Like, just, like, like, <laughs> like, yeah. So then, yeah, they um, they save the day and, and Lone Star uses the Schwartz and uh, the, the planet Geridia is saved. He finds out that he's a prince yeah. and uh, is able to Mary, uh, Mary Vespa. Vespa. They, they they have like sparklers coming off of the Winnebago as they fly off into space. It says, "May the shorts be with you." Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I guess we haven't said any other notes on the on the yogurt uh, scene. Yogurt but... so good. Um, yeah, but basically, it, yogurt's just if what if Yoda was an old Jewish man mm-hmm. who was trying, to which he kind of is. Yeah, yeah, Yoda's <laughs> a Jewish man already. But basically, and it's also like, I always thought that like, you know, the merchandise, now that I know the story behind like Lucas being like, do not sell merch. Mm -hmm. I always thought that the merchandise thing was like, how many Star Wars toys can you make? You know, right? like Star Wars has so much merch under the sun, especially now with its resurgence that I thought that was that was the end of the joke. No, and I, I I do feel like in that that's another good way that the movie is like commenting on Star Wars and. Uh, Hi Ripley, my roommate's cat is in here. Oh. She may or may not show up. She's nice. Sometimes. Okay, I've known I've known cats to be named Ripley. Uh- <laughs> she's a she's a she's a cutie. Yeah. Speaking of Ripley, mm-hmm. there's yes. the. Uh, <laughs> There's a, there's a fun sequence near the end where uh, they go to a diner and um, there's like the, the the crew from Alien is just like, you know, sort of chatting at the other end. Yeah. They won't stop talking. <laughs> and they don't shut up. And then all of a sudden yeah. you see one of them go, oh my God, I'm sick or something. And then he like, then, you know, Chestbuster comes out. So basically this uh, Chestbuster does a little ragtime thing and he comes mm-hmm. out, he has a cane, he has a hat and he's like, Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. Time gal. <laughs> like, the most disgusting thing, too, because there's, like, entrails and slime. 
Yeah, and, and he's just like the he just ends up like leaving through like a little a little door at the end of the, yeah, <laughs> the counter. Yeah, and Bart's like, I'm not eating what that was. I'm like, just yeah. like I'm not eating that. He's not like, did he have the soup or the special? Yeah, the super special. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a fun little moment. And there's also, as I said before, the bit where like the the head of the ship, which looks like the Statue of Liberty, lands on the planet of the apes, and the apes come out and they and they see it and they're like. And then, you know, the, the like Dark Helmet and the president like come out of the ship and they're like space balls. There goes the neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, that is space balls. Space balls. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I, I very much understand why this film is so prevalent in, in, in conversations about Mel Brooks and why it has been the thing to sort of introduce Mel Brooks to to subsequent generations especially again with the proliferation of star Wars and with franchise films sort of built off of the star Wars wave. I think that, you know, it's a, it's a cultural language that I think even more so than even more so than history, (laughs) we're just exploring history of the world. Star Wars is a thing that everyone can sort of, can sort of uh, point to. Yeah. Like every kid knows what star Wars is, knows the story. So it's very easy for kids to be shown space balls. Yeah. And they get it. And there are, you know of course there there is like adult humor in space balls but it's also i think maybe the least adult of of brooks's yeah. films it's definitely the least adult um this was the one my mom i don't i mean my mother showed me everything backwards apparently so you know even though there is like there there, there is like sex and dirty jokes in it it's like I, I, with producers and with Blazing Saddles, definitely with with History of the World to a certain extent, and even some of the later ones, it's just they're, they're, there's kind of a headiness about it where like yeah. where, where I feel like this is I you know this very simple fairy tale story that you know again has these obvious cultural signifiers in it, and a lot of the humor is overt in a way where like at any age you'll get it yeah and you know like like i don't think anyone's going to i don't think any kid is going to hear torquemada you can't talk about anything and really know what's going on there <laughs> no no they will not <laughs> but uh, like, okay. so yeah I, I think i i see the appeal of space balls and um talking it over there are definitely a lot of things that i admire about it it might just be oversaturation that is making me making me feel like i i didn't yeah. like it as much I mean, I think that's the issue with any parody movie where, and also, like you said, there's so many of them yeah. that they all kind of feel the same. And it's just like, well, yes, it's another parody movie versus like, this is Spaceballs. Yeah. And Spaceballs also sort of has, I think, the Anchorman problem where like so many scenes from it have been memed and quoted to death online. Yeah. That like, you you, you sort of watch it and it's a bunch of jokes you've heard before. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That's definitely a problem with Spaceball. No, it's like not its own fault, you know? Yeah. It's just like fans. Fans are insane. Yeah. Overall, I guess we we have looked at an interesting chapter <laughs> or two in Mel Brooks's career. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, like I said, the Spaceballs is really the film that introduced people of our and younger generations to Mel Brooks most of the time. And uh, History of the World is... Not necessarily that, but it is one that I think is considered part of the the Mel Brooks canon in in, in an interesting way. Because even though it was like a disappointment at the time, and I think even to this day, it's not seen as highly as really not seen as highly as Spaceballs even. But um, yeah. 
there are the Brooks movies. I think like silent movie and high anxiety are the ones that like, you have to kind of know <laughs> they're a little more esoteric. It's like, once you, once you find out about Bell Brooks, you know about those, but yeah. it's like blazing saddles and young Frankenstein are the, are the top shelf ones and history of the world and space balls and, like, and the producers, but, but they're like, you know, sort of adjacent to that sphere. Yeah. Especially, yeah, with space balls and history of the world. I do have to agree the where it's like, it's, we're not talking about high art, but also sometimes high, sometimes things that are not high art are very good. Yeah. And I think that um, if you look at the, the trajectory of Brooks's career, I think there was a while where he was kind of trying to do high art with with 12 chairs and with that mm. uh the, the next script he did that he couldn't get produced and i think in silent movie and high anxiety you see an attitude of trying to sort of cater to that crowd and try to balance it with the with the humor that he's known for i i, I mean i just feel like with blazing saddles and young frankenstein there's just uh, a, a real balance of filmmaking and this this great sense of humor that he has where like Spaceballs is all humor <laughs> basically yeah and and in history of the world i think has some interesting structural things going on but it's not it, it's not quite on that on that level yeah no i, I definitely agree but i i think there is also more to these movies than than people give them credit for i mean we've spoken about how the idea of doing a parody of history the way that you do a parody of star wars is like just an interesting concept for a movie and sort of a meaningful one and and, and then again i do think that Spaceballs has some and, and again that's what really separates it from a lot of the movies that it may be inspired is that like it has something to say about star wars yeah like i like especially when you like think about scary movie like that whole franchise where mm-hmm. it's literally i'm going to remake these horror movies but put jokes in them right like just spoofs especially being like the the first scary movie is mostly based on scream which is already a parody <laughs> yeah, yeah scream's already a parody and versus like with Spaceballs, where it's like a commentary on like franchises on star wars on like the sci-fi genre yeah and on the blockbuster kind of yeah, kind of era yeah. all, the, all the things that star wars wrought as well Got a got a cat uh, outside. Or a child. <laughs> we may never know. Um. So yeah. Yeah. That's uh. The, the, that's uh. The, the two of those films. It's interesting. Also, I think that they were both disappointments at the time, and have both kind of had a a, a reassessment over time. I wonder if that would ever come for like. Dracula dead and loving it or the other like I, I mean it kind of did come for men in tight so maybe it eventually will but I just think like yeah with with the way that Mel Brooks is seen I especially think like you know if Mel Brooks I mean eventually uh Mel Brooks is gonna die but uh I I think if for instance like blank check did a did a Mel Brooks miniseries or you, you know I, I think I could see some of those later Brooks movies also being reassessed um yeah and that seems to be the pipeline of things is that, you know, eventually things, people come around on all the Brooks movies. It, it's like, I'm not going to be like, oh, he was ahead of his time in terms of comedy because we've discussed it. He obviously wasn't. Mm-hmm. And with that, you can see that in like the jokes that have aged poorly. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's just like sometimes things that things are funny and people don't appreciate them right when it happens, maybe. Yeah. And I think a lot of these Borscht Belt people, it's also unfortunately true of the older Woody Allen movies is that like 
the ideas there like 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 the comedy is very of its time but there's also like there's a creativity there that uh you won't find in a lot of their imitators i feel like and they're you know they're movies that were sort of taken for granted at the time as comedies and so are sort of have sort of been were brushed aside at the time or are brushed aside in a in a in a traditional understanding but they the reason they develop these reputations i think is because a i i mean i think it's true of comedies in general where you know they're more likely to be understood 10 years later you look at like mcgruber or or i don't know hot tub time machine like there you, you know it's it, it's true up to this day where like people do tend to downplay comedies and it's only a, a while down the line where you can really look at it uh fr- from from an external lens and and assess it on the same level that you would the movies that are being pushed as like as like you know the the movies of the year where i I think you'll find more people with kind things to say about mcgruber than the king's speech today you know (laughs) that's sort of the situation yeah no definitely but also i think parodies rock yeah parodies rock i think parody is nuts (laughs) (laughs) it's just like and VTS. Yeah. Ah, uh, man, Beth, thank you so much no for joining thank me. Thank you for having me on this lovely episode of oh, yeah. Friction. Thank you. I think this is going to be a good one. And to those of you who have been listening up to this point, thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, if you like the show, you can support it via Substack or through a number of other means. You can also just share it with your friends. One of the best things you can do: let people know that you like it. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.